Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and I'm delighted to have as our guest today, James Van Prague. As I'm sure you all know, James is an internationally renowned New York Times bestselling author who has worked as the voice of the spirit world for the past 30 years. He has appeared on Oprah, Larry King Live, Dr. Phil, Coast to Coast, and many other programs. And he is also the successful creator and producer of CBS's long-running series, The Ghost Whisperer, starring starring Jennifer Love Hewitt. Today, we're going to discuss his brand new book, Adventures of the Soul. Welcome, James. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Miriam, for having me. I appreciate it. James, you affirm that we all have psychic abilities. Tell me, when did you discover yours, and what made you decide to devote your life to mediumship? Great questions. <laughs> Great questions. Well, the first thing, the intuition, um, as many, many people uh, have experienced as children, uh, when I was young, I used to see things. I used to see colors around people, known as the aura. I used to see spirits in the room. I used to know things about people before things would happen. I would talk to my mother about that, and it would happen all the time. And I would look at the world around me, and that's really how I would see it and feel it and experience it. And to me, that was very normal, as most kids are very, very open. And I, I would ask my mother, you know, is that right? And she would say, you can't say those things to most people because they don't see them. And she said, when I was a little girl, I also could see things and knew things, but I had to be very careful who I'd say them to. And I remember uh, I was saying my prayers one night with my mother. I was a little boy, seven, six or seven years old. At the end of the bed, I saw brilliant lights of beings, of these, these beautiful light beings. And I said to my mother, or asked my mother, who are those? Who was that? And she said, oh, those, those are God's angels. You see them? I used to see them too when I was a little girl. So very much that was my childhood. And I'd say probably in my teenage years, it, it, I didn't pay attention to it. it. Naturally, I went into other ways of thinking or doing things, and my life went on. So I didn't really um, have any strong hold on that. That was just the way I was as a child. And then in my mid-20s, I went to see a medium from England. Uh, it really was a fluke because I didn't know what mediums were. I didn't believe in a mediumship or anything like that. And I went as a, to see humor, a friend of mine I was working with at the time, and as soon as I walked into the apartment and saw this gentleman, he said, you're a medium, and the spirit world are going to use you in two years' time, and you're going to be the voice of the spirit world. You're going to give them a voice. And I thought this man was crazy because I'd never heard of such a thing. And I was a cynical New Yorker moving to California, and believe it or not, he came through with some incredible details and evidence, some uh, loved ones that had passed over, family and friends, uh, details of names and addresses, and that there was nothing I could dispute. So we started my, my mind thinking and whirling, and I started reading up as many books as I could on psychic phenomena, on life after death, on meditation, and I started really meditating, and just I didn't know how to formally meditate, so I just really relaxed, and I would visualize a rose or the word love, and, and I started doing that kind of on a regular basis, whenever I kind of felt like it, and I noticed that after I did that, I started seeing lights and colors around people like I did as a child right back to my childhood and the funny thing happened was then um uh, uh two years later i was working another job and a lady's uh so this woman standing behind my co-worker it was a dead lady and it was this lady's grandmother and mm. she gave details and that was almost two years to the day that that this man had predicted it and and what happened miriam to make a long story short was i worked with this medium to develop my, my abilities and set with uh in silence and, and in development circles 
And really what happened was there's an overwhelming sense of this loving energy, is all I can describe it, loving energy. And I knew that this was the most important thing in my life, that if I could help people with this loving energy from their spirit friends and just give a part of what that energy felt like back to the living people, then this is what my job is. And that's, that's what it's all about. That's why I started doing it. Well, you were, um, I suppose, fortunate that your mother was so um, encouraging of you, even though she warned you uh, (laughs) to use your gift with discretion. Um, How much, uh, how many of us do you think um, actually have, I mean, do you need a lineage of psychic awareness or how much of it can be cultivated through the kind of apprenticeship you did with the medium? A great question. Again, I think that, uh, let me just go back if I could because it's a very good insight. I think just stepping back a bit and, and my mother being open to it, I think on some level, before we come back onto this earth level as souls, I think we do pick out those those beings, those loved ones, whether it's a soul group, a family group, and I think that we come back with certain um, blueprint, if you will. So I think that this work, my mother being my mother, my father being my father, and so forth, I think that was kind of planned out or predestined, if you will, in order, and I look back, of course, I had to, because look at all the work, the impact this work has done for the millions of people around the world. I think that it's a combination of things with intuition. I think everybody is born with the language of the soul, which is intuition. Intuition means into the soul. So it's, it's really our natural energy. It's a sixth sense. I, I believe we all have six senses, not five. So I think intuition is that. I think everybody's born with that to the degree where it's to the surface might be a little bit different depending on the, as you say, lineage uh, of what comes back to the surface, how much has been developed in the lineage line. Uh, and, I, and I think that that if someone, I often say people ask me about mediumship, can everyone be a medium? And I said, well, it's just like a piano, a, a pianist. Can everyone learn? Everybody can learn to play the piano, but not everybody is a concert pianist. So I think there has to be a little bit of that to the surface uh, that's available. I do believe, but I think we all definitely have intuition, and I think that can be developed to a, to a certain degree with each individual. And of course. Uh it expresses itself differently. There are some people who are medical intuitives. Uh, you focus primarily on mediumship. Tell us the difference between mediumship and just and other psychic gifts. Perfect. I want you to interview me all the time. These are great questions. These are wonderful, <laughs> wonderful questions. So insightful. Because uh, there is a difference, and many people don't realize that. And this is important because I'm also a teacher. First and foremost, I'm a teacher bringing this awareness and this knowledge and this work to the masses in the correct way. So um, everybody is psychic or intuitive you know, to one degree or another. Now, what that means is everybody has had the experience where the phone rings, you think of somebody, and it's the person we're thinking about. So that is precognitive. That is an awareness that you have outside linear time and space, and most of us have that. There's also, as you mentioned, what we call clairvoyance, which is seeing things um, before they happen, seeing a scene of things, uh, uh, something acting out, or medical clairvoyance where you can actually scan a body and see how the energy changes in various parts of the body or various organs of the body. You can see there's a change in the energy. So it's really a psychic work is kind of interpreting that energy, being aware, intuiting or feeling the difference in the energy uh, around somebody or being able to 
uh, feel or know, have a knowingness, if you will, about future events or even past events. So that's a, there's a knowingness. That's the intuition. Mediumship is a very different energy. With, with, with the psychic work, it's really from, if you will, the gut. That, that, that's our psychic center. But mediumship is really a totality of the being. So in mediumship, the soul of the medium is really in contact with the soul of the spirit, of the discarnate. So what it is, is the brain is part of the physical body, and that, of course, finishes when the body is done and then we move on. That's gone. But the mind continues on. The mind is part of the soul. So the mind, of course, uh, has within it all the memories, experiences that we ever had in the physical body in this lifetime and also other lifetimes, I believe. But let's just stay with the current lifetime. So what it is is when you pass the other side of life into the other dimensions, you have an awareness of all the experiences and all the memories that you made while on the earth. In the spirit world, you can't make new memories. You've made them in the physical. You can't make them in the spirit. But you certainly can come back, if you will. We call it coming back. But if you will, going to an individual, a medium, who has a certain type of receptive energy and who's very open to receiving, if you will, uh, to this field or atmosphere around them, and they open up their mind, and at which point the spirit, the discarnate, will project a thought, a feeling, an image, a memory into the mind of the medium. And the medium, if they're a good receiving medium, they will receive that image, whether they'll receive it emotionally, they'll receive it as a vision, and they'll receive it uh, on the totality of, their, of the, who they are. So it's a little bit different than a psychic. And another, there are different types of mediumship, and what I'm referring to is just mental mediumship. And, so, and every medium is very different. So me personally, I see, feel, and hear the messages. And it depends on how the spirit wants to communicate. Because just like on the physical earth, there are some people that are very good with visualizations, and, and there are some people very good emotional, very emotional people, and others are not. Same thing with the spirit people. Um, if they were very emotional on the earth, they'll be very emotional from the spirit side of life. And if they weren't, they weren't, they won't be. So it's open to the medium to really open themselves up to how that spirit's going to communicate. <laughs> wow. That's a lot to, a lot to digest, <laughs> but it's important. <laughs> now, you, you speak of uh, different astral planes, and um, maybe this is a good time to kind of clarify for us what is your notion of the soul? What is the soul? Because you talk about mediumship as being soul-to-soul communication. Right. Well, and again, I find that in this three-dimensional world and physical vibration, that really the explanations and definitions of certain things are so limited to to labels mm-hmm. and, and, and nuances of the physical world. So, so we have to bear with that, with that, that awareness that it's probably just more than that. Um, I mean, how can you describe a light? It's uh, so many ways of describing a light or a feeling. The, core, the soul, to me, is really the core of our being. It's, a, it's that self, that core self, the consciousness of, of who we are. And I, I believe that that consciousness, that awareness, does it take a body form? Maybe. Not sure. I know that in the spirit world there is an etheric body or a replica. Um, but let's just say that it's definitely the essence of our being, the consciousness of who we are. I believe is that we've traveled through oceans of time, we've had many lifetimes, whether it's been on this earth or other star systems or other planets or other forms of being, I'm open to that as well. And I think it's almost like when I see the soul or I feel the soul, it's almost like a diamond. And I want to say that every experience is another facet of that diamond, unless that another light or evolves it. 
And I, and I think that um, uh, the soul is really it is that true essence of our being. It's every experience we've ever had. And the soul uh, also has within it what I call the spirit, which is the essence of, of God, that essence, that breath, if you will. So I think that's the spirit, and that's the essence. Um, so I, I think that's the basic, a, a real quick definition of it. Mm-hmm. But you did mention the higher self, which resides on a higher plane. Correct. So the higher self, I would say, is, or we can call it the oversoul. So I think there are many, many levels to our being, and I think that the soul incorporates all of those levels of being. So it's a, a di- different levels of ourselves, our light being, our, the celestial part of ourselves. So I think there are many facets of our being, and mm-hmm. I think the soul incorporates all of those aspects. That, that's what I'm going to say. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and I'm totally wrong, but I, I feel it, it really incorporates all of those uh, aspects and levels of our beingness. So right now we're in the physical body, but we are very much a part, as you know, of many, many levels. And with just the, the manifestation and the physical, the slowest level, of course, is the physical. And this is, of course, the lowest manifestation of that soul energy. Um, so people should know that the, the one stream, like the stream that goes through all of it is, is the current of love, which travels through all those um, bodies, all those levels of being and awareness, is that essence of love. And that's the closest thing we have. I said the closest thing to God. I think God is love. Love is God. And interestingly enough, on a vibrational level, frequency, the word God and the word love are at the same vibrational frequency. So I find that very interesting. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> All these things that I think people who hear this, they'll say, that makes sense to me. Or on some level, I remember this stuff. Because uh, I know my journey doing this work and I wrote this book, The Adventure of the Soul, when I was doing this, it all seemed like this stuff was almost like an, an, a cupboard way above me, and I just had to open up that cupboard and, you know, bring this out, this information, and dust it off and, and speak about it. And the same thing happened to me when I read the book Out on the Limb by Sean McLean. Mm-hmm. And as if that knowledge, I, I knew that. On some level, I knew this stuff. It was truth to me, and it, was, it felt right to me. That's, I, I believe it is. You make the point, uh, actually quite frequently in your book, that if something resonates with you, accept it. If it doesn't resonate with you, you know, put it on a shelf and move on. And I, I have to say that your book really resonated with me, James. It, it was just so straightforward. So, you know, here I am. This is what I've experienced. This is my understanding of it. Take it or leave it. And it it really um, was so digestible. I, I I can't commend this book enough to to people. Even even people already you know long time on the spiritual path, sure. you will pick up new nuggets from it. Yeah, thank you, Miriam. I, I find that with all my writing, this is my, I think my eleventh book now. For me, uh, I think that the truth is very simple. I think that as humans, and I call it the being in the human box, I think humans, we get caught up in the, in the complexity of the simplicity. I think that's what it is. Mm-hmm. I think we tend to have to make things complex in order to be human. And I think that we have to we forget who we truly are, which is an essence of love, and that, that's it. And really there is, I often tell people that life is just a series of choices. And that's all it is. And don't make more of it than it is. Life is a series of choices, and that's how we progress. Each choice is based upon two things, either love or fear. 
and that's it. And just think how powerful that is, but it is really, really true. So if you have a group of people sitting down in front of you and you say to them, go back into your life and go back to your childhood and bring yourself to experiences, memories that you've had, events that you've had in your life that were very strong in your life that, that made, made your life cho- choices. And you go back in your, in your mind and remember those. And if, as they do that and they come to current day, you say to them, was, were your choices based upon what other people thought of you, what society thought of you, what you wanted to be loved, or, or was it just based upon, yeah, I love myself, I'm going to do what I love, and this is the way it is. And you will see that I would say a good 85% of the people have based their lives on fear, on uh, what other people thought of them, trying to receive love from other people, trying to do things that they would receive that love. So it's very, very interesting that if we would just accept that we are these loving beings, and then I say to people, listen, whatever pe- anyone thinks about you, it's none of your business because they don't know you as well as you know yourself. And so this is what I live with and the philosophy I live with, and my books are just like that. that this book, what's the point of making a book, uh, writing this information, and it's really not my information, I'm just sharing my experiences, to make it as simple as possible because it is simple. And... Um, I think that's, that's what the idea is. I think all good works have to be simple to the point, and within the simplicity can be a little bit of complexity there or question things. But I think you can never speak uh, up to people or down to people. Just speak at people. And people will recognize that genuineness and the integrity. James, you must be psychic because that... <laughs> that was that, the question you were going to ask. <laughs> that is precisely... Uh, the nugget I was referring to. I mean, just just the notion of reviewing the choices that you're going to make today. Is this coming from fear? Is it coming from love? Which way do I want to go? That is so powerful. It's so powerful. So when, I, when we say that, uh, you know, the 12-step programs have been fabulous in this as well for self-empowerment because I, I, I stole a lovely thing, fear, F-E-A-R, False ego appearing real. Mm-hmm. And that's really what it is, false ego appearing real. So we put so much into that ego, and we, we realize so much of what other people think of us. And, and, and that's not the way we should – everyone's so different. I think that we have to celebrate the diversity in each soul. And I like to say that the soul, each soul is a snowflake. Each one is unique and different, and you put them all together, and it's beauty. But the differences are what makes its beauty. Mm-hmm. So that's, and I think people have to get, get back with, like you say, empowering themselves, giving themselves back the truth that they're okay. They don't have to go anywhere else to be who they are. They just be themselves and celebrate that. You used another beautiful metaphor as well, uh, that of a tapestry, how we weave the tapestries of our own lives and together we, we weave the more complex ta- tapestry of our societies. Yes, I, I had that experience, Miriam. Was, as you read the book, it was, it was a pretty profound, probably the most profound experience, that, well, one of the most profound um, that I had with a near-death experience where I, I had food poisoning, and, I, and I, I really, it was bad. For 12 hours, it was very bad. And I, I eventually hit the, the sink. My head hit the sink, and I went out of my body, and my blood was everywhere. And I popped out of my body. I'm looking down, and I knew immediately there was an awareness that I had. There was a sense, this knowingness, this awareness that I wasn't dead, that I was very alive, but I knew I was, it was not my time. So I'm like, there in this, you're outside of time, but it was a sense of, an essence or a sense of, okay, I know that I'm not, it's not my time, but what am I doing here? <laughs> and immediately I was aware of this ribbon, if you will, coming out of, the, out of my head, uh, going to this tapestry above me, and I was 
it was just incredible to look at this sparkling type of tapestry. And I realized I had that awareness right away that my thoughts that I had would color that ribbon coming out of my head and in turn infuse that tapestry and make it more pretty, beautiful, or not very nice to look at. And I knew if I kept my thoughts to a higher level, a loving level, compassion, uh, hope, beautiful, nice thoughts, it would make some beautiful remnants, if you will, into that tapestry. And I knew that if there were negative thoughts, limited thoughts, fearful thoughts, that the colors, the energy would be darker, dense, uh, not very pretty to look at, and it would clog up the tapestry, the design. And I also realized, and it's a strange thing because in that level, all, everything becomes one, and you kind of know things instantly. I was aware that every single person had a kind of ribbon, and that their thoughts, and their own thoughts, did paint into that tapestry, which is above every single person. And I realized that at the end of life, when we have a life review, when we first pass over to the side of life, we look at those tapestries. We look at our influence of how we influence that, that global or universal tapestry. What was our influence? Was it a good influence? Was it a bad influence? Did we help people? Were we compassionate? Did we love? Did we forgive? Or did we, were we fearful? Did we live in complete fear and limitation and anger? So that was immediately the awareness I had of that. And then I remember um, from that experience that I saw my father in the garden. And I walked over to him and he handed me a flower. And he said to me telepathically, it's not your time yet. And it went right into my body. And I was aware then, um, my husband Brian was looking at me and said, wake up, wake up, wake up. And I opened up my eyes and my mouth, and the first words out of my mouth were, dying is easy, living is hard. Mm-hmm. First words. So that was very profound. Mm-hmm. changed my life, for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how I, my thoughts and my feelings and how I thought of other people. You were great friends with Debbie Ford, and you rela- relate in the book a very poignant episode when she was passing. Do you want to share that with our re- listeners? Yes, but I'll, I cry, so uh, <laughs> bear with me, because um, that is the reason why I wrote this book. Um, it was, Debbie wrote this with me, and, and Debbie Ford was a well-known life coach, and she worked with the shadow side of ourselves, and, and very well-known with the shadow process. Um, I, I knew Debbie many, many years ago, uh, before she was known. I sat with her at a uh, some restaurant in the I don't know I don't know where it was in San Francisco somewhere and uh, her sister Ariel was known at the time and Debbie just went to a, go be with her and I was sitting there talking with Debbie and and we were talking about different things she knew who I was and she told me about her life on the streets and her drug addiction and her relationships and, and it was this really dark stuff and I said you know you should write a book about this it will help so many people. And she said, nobody would read it. I said, yes, you have to write it. Well, she wrote it. She wrote A Dark Side of the Light Chasers, I think that was the first one. And, and I remember that Ariel's sister was able to get her on Oprah. And from that moment on, she was well-known with her work. So fast forward many, many years. We've known each other. I was in New York City uh, several years back. And uh, Debbie came up to my hotel door, knocked on it. I opened it up. I said, hi, James. Hi, Debbie. And she said to me, listen, I have to tell you something. Said, yeah. She had a very rare form of cancer, which she didn't tell many people about, and she was seeking treatments all over the world. And she said, would you please make a promise to me that when my time comes to pass through the side, if it happens that way, would you please be there for me? And I said, I would be honored to be there for you. And the interesting thing was she had just come out with a book called Courage, and that was sitting on the table. So that was very interesting. So I made that promise to her. Um, 
I think a year and a year and a half had passed, and I was busy with traveling. She was busy, and you know that's how things get. Life happens, and I knew she was getting uh, uh, worse. And I, I remember that she called me on a Thursday night, and she said to me, "James, she could barely speak." She said, "I think it's tonight. I think I'm leaving tonight." And I said, "Oh, Debbie, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very sorry, Debbie." And I said, she, "I said, just be with me. I said, I will be with you. Just listen to my voice and hear my thoughts." And I said, it's going to be easy. Uh, just imagine your feather just blowing the wind and just let it be easy. Don't fight it. Just be easy. And uh, I said, I love you. She said, I love you. And it was, it was a really tough time. So uh, what happened was um, Friday came, Saturday came. There was nothing happened. Sunday, I spoke to her sister, and she said to me, uh, James, I don't know what's going on. She's been in a coma. And the hospice nurse doesn't understand why she hasn't left yet. She's never had a, a case like this ever. Can you please find out what's going on? And I said, of course, that would be my pleasure. Let me just see. So I went into a meditation, and I went into this meditation really not knowing, but just I know the connection that her and I have. And I worked with her, and on a mental level, I was able to see her, feel her, experience her very, very clearly. And it was just an interesting thing because it was all done with thought, but yet the thought also I could see I could see her, and she was wearing all this white. And I said, Debbie, Debbie, what, what's the matter? Why haven't you gone? And very clearly, as I'm hearing your voice, same thing. She said, I have a kid, James. I have a child. And I said, well, Debbie, it's your, you know, he's 18, he's at college, your mother's going to take care of him, you'll be fine. And then I was able to see two people around her from Miami, Florida, who had passed away of AIDS, and also her father from, who I felt he was a lawyer or something legally, and I was able to get through these names. I just knew them in my mind. And later I found out, indeed, they were people over that passed over who were trying to reach in to help her come over to the side. So I said to these people, are waiting for you, Debbie. It's okay. Go just breathe into it. Just be a feather. And she said, I don't understand this. I've lived my whole life learning how to live, and now I have to learn how to die. <laughs> and then she said, it's strange, James. It's like I've been given uh, a set of keys to drive for a car, and I don't know how to drive. So it was really interesting. And I just worked with her on a mental level. I said, just breathe into it. I said, pretend it's the Wizard of Oz. And you're just going to go on the Yellow Brick Road and just go through the curtain and just breathe in. They're right there loving you. And just breathe into that light. You know that's going to be pure love and hope. Will it be okay? I promise it'll be okay. I love you. I love you. And that was the end of the meditation. That was the end of probably, about, I'd say, 25 minutes. That, well, then about two hours later, I was in the uh, room watching television with, with Brian and um, my husband, Brian, and all of a sudden this cold, cold breeze, not even a breeze, it was this huge coldness from the ceiling down, came right over to me, and I said, oh, wow, it's Debbie, it's Debbie. And Brian said, you, he's a total double Virgo, pragmatic person, said, you must have opened the door, you must have a door open. I said, no, there's no door open. He checked the house and came back, and he said, there's no door open. I said, no, it's Debbie. And he said, oh, Debbie, you know, we love you, and this beautiful feeling of love. And then that cold breeze left, the phone rings, and it's Debbie's sister, Ariel, who said Debbie just passed. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> that was the beginning <laughs> of the book. <laughs> Amazing experience. Absolutely. Well, you know, perhaps because Debbie, in her earlier years, and in fact, probably throughout her life, was such a survivor, I mean, that almost defined her survival and courage, that Completely. she might have felt that, um, you know, it was kind of giving up to, to pass over. Letting go of control. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, it's so hard for all of us, I think, on some level to surrender, to surrender control. What I often tell people, Miriam, you know, and it's so funny when I work with audiences and they're control freaks in the audience, because I'll say, <laughs> you have no control. And they look at me and like, Ugh. I say, no, you have no control. I said, you cannot control other people's thoughts. You cannot control other people. You can't control that. But what you can control are how you're going to receive that impression, receive the energy from another person, how you're going to deal with that. So I often say um, how people treat you is their karma. How you react is your karma. Oh, yeah. That was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> so what, what is your understanding of karma, what karma is, and, and how does that connect with reincarnation? Well, I think everything is energy. I think everything is made of energy, and, and, and uh, I think energy, basically molecules that vibrate at a certain rate of speed, and I, and I think that we're all made of this energetic being, and I think thoughts are energetic, and I think um, really what we create, what we put out, that thoughts that we, we I, I believe that every person is God, and I think God is creativity, I think pure creativity as one aspect, and I think that we're constantly creating, creating, creating with our thoughts. And whatever we create, we have to live with. We, have to, we manifest that reality. So I think that is what that is. So whether it's positive or negative, it's just, it is what it is. There's no judgment to it. It just is what it is. So if you want to, um, uh, I often say a little bit of golden rule, how you treat others, you're really treating yourself because you will experience whatever you do to others, you will experience that, whether it's good or bad. You'll experience that. And it's just learning. I think our souls are always learning and expanding. So I think karma is just a way for us to learn, expand, understand. So that's really what I think it is. It's gotten a bad reputation, karma, because people just really don't know the meaning of it. They think it's a negative connotation, when really it's just it's a, it's an energy, whether it's positive or negative. It's all just learning from things. So I think that's what it is. So what you put out, you will get back, and you'll learn from those things. And you talk about a kind of pre-incarnation planning session where yes. we decide, uh, you know, what are the lessons that we want to learn or talents we want to perfect in this life? Yes. How does that work? Well, you know, um, um, Destiny is sold by Michael Newton. He talks a lot about this. Michael Newton, wonderful author. And he's, he's several very similar things. Um, he does uh, a regression therapist, and some of the things he's gone through in his books and his experiences are very much the same, uh, very much, that I've experienced in my work, finding that the soul, which is eternal, and there, of course, there is no such thing as time, uh, really time, the three-dimensional world, we, we measure things by linear time, but in the grand scheme, we're outside of time. So, and then it goes to the parallel universes and so forth with the soul. So I'm going to say a very simple passage, that I believe that in the in-between lives, we go back to that source, that sense, as, and I think it's a very real world over there. Everything that we understand is a human level, whether it's you know, physical things like houses or buildings and gardens and lakes and, and rivers and stuff. I think all of that exists on that other level. And I think that when we go back to the in-between worlds, I think, from my understanding, in, in the Bible it says my father has a house with many mansions, and I believe there are very many, many levels. And I think you go to that level which you've created based upon your thoughts, your words, and your deeds. So that, I believe, you go to that level uh, where your mind, the conditions of your mind will bring you there. So I think that on the other side of life, you also work out, if you will, progression. So I don't think the physical human earth is the only place that your soul can grow. I think you can grow on the other side as well. 
but I think there are more opportunities for further growth uh, are more of an evolution here in the three-dimensional world because of the scenarios are very different here. Um, so I think that in that level, in the in-between, you're with like-minded souls, you're with your teachers, you'll go through experiences over there, and eventually there will be a yearning, if you will, that your soul feels. And there are other souls, whether it's a soul group, a soul family, and so forth, that you've shared lifetimes or experiences together as a group. So in one lifetime you might be the mother, another lifetime might be the son, the father, the cousin, whatever roles that you take. And I do believe that Shakespeare got 100% right, where Shakespeare said the world's a stage and we're merely players upon it. I do believe that. I think each lifetime we take on these different roles, and, and we, what happens in between lives, we'll work with our counselors, our guides, our teachers. We will go to, if you will, uh, let's say another lifetime we're going to come back as an artist. Perhaps we'll go to a school on the other side of life to perfect that aspect of our being so we come back to the earth life, that will come to the surface. So I, I do believe we prepare for our upcoming life. So I believe that when we, uh, on the other side of life, that yearning, that calling to move on, to come back and experience human life, we do that with the, not only ourselves, but our group, our soul groups, and the soul grouping, soul family. So we come back on this human level, not only to evolve on an individual soul level, but we also evolve as a family unit, as a soul group unit, because I really do believe, Miriam, that we're all connected. I believe there's a oneness. And I think we really do come back to help each other out as well. That's why mm -hmm. we come back and learn. So I think it's that sense of coming back and experiencing things from a different level. Um, I, I know that if someone in this lifetime is prejudiced against a certain group, let's say Mexicans, they don't like Mexicans, where they keep on judging and judging, you can bet they'll come back as a Mexican <laughs> next lifetime to experience the flip side of what that feels like. So it's what they've created, what they've put out there, but to experience, but they've experienced it. So things have to come into the wholeness of being, and I think that's what it's really about, the wholeness of being. Uh-huh. I recently read in a compilation of cryon channelings that um, he suggests that we go through multiple lives as one sex. Then when we decide to try lives as the other sex, we go through a transition period of several lifetimes where we will express the character of both sexes. Does that resonate with you? To a point. To a point. Um, to, again, I think it's aspects of being. I think it's working with the energy. So I think if you have more of a female energy, there's a certain expression with that one way, and male energy, another expression. And I think that that has to be, if you will, um, experienced in lifetimes. But when you get to the truth of, of, of being, there is no sex. There is no female or male. There's just one. But I do believe that you have to know the polarities of both in order to evolve. So I would go with that, that there's several lifetimes as a female, several lifetimes as a male. I don't know about the both male and female at the same time. That could very well be. Could very well be. How does, um, if our subconscious actually retains our soul experiences across lifetimes, um, how can they be made available to our conscious mind for oh, use? Again, great question. You should do this for a living. <laughs> really, it's a, you're pretty in tune. Uh, it's great to be with somebody who understands this work, too. I can tell you it's uh, wonderful. Um, so the subconscious, if we could just think of the subconscious as part of the soul, that that subconscious retains all experiences that soul's ever had, memories, experiences, likes, dislikes, 
um, places that you have a, a desire to be with, you go there, experience you have, that's retained in the subconscious, which is part of the soul. So when you come back, let's say in this lifetime now, you will have within the subconscious all of those past memories that soul has experienced. So you might find in this lifetime, you go to a certain place in the world. Let's say you go to Paris. And you feel, gosh, I have an affinity to Paris. I don't know what it is, but there's an affinity here. And I love French food. Um, or you might be able to speak French when you're a young child. All these different things. Or you meet somebody and you feel there's a connection there right away. I'm part of you. You're part of me. I feel I've known you before. And I think that's very true. I, I, I think that the soul indeed has had these lifetimes. And what we're doing is soul memory is coming out. And you're experiencing that sense of the subconscious, the conscious. Now, all of those experiences, all of those lifetimes, if you will, are available to us if we choose. I think that when one person gets to a stillness, if you will, or if you will, there's many regression therapists that will bring you back to a time, another time, which is really, uh, if you will, at, the, at the, the surface of your soul memory. So, for instance, if I had a fear of water, and I, and I just didn't want to get in the water, that might come directly from a past life experience. So if I was to be regressed and go back into another lifetime, just be aware of the soul observing something to do with water, and, and this has actually happened to me, so I can share this with you. I've experienced it, sure enough, I was in a lifetime where I was a galley slave, and the boat went over, and I was drowned to death. And that held a trauma, a certain trauma, an emotional trauma. And it seems that those emotional traumas are the strongest ones that the soul are closer to the soul's surface, if you will. And they affect uh, this current lifetime. So many people who have phobias and, and uh, fears and unrealistic fears and rational fears, many times we find that they have had experiences, this soul has experienced in a former lifetime that's been so traumatic that it comes back in this lifetime close to the surface. And once we go through the regression therapy and we open them up to this experience, and they realize this is what happened, they can let that one go. Mm-hmm. And, and I've done past life regression therapy with my work to people, and it's been very, very helpful. And it really is, I, I like to say, part of the soul memory. It's part of the soul makeup. Um, so that's, it's really pretty fascinating. But it's always available for us. You have a fascinating list of common themes of soul lessons that we're here to um, kind of experience and work through. I do. <laughs> Obviously, you know, everybody is individual, but there are themes. Um, tell us some of the more kind of powerful ones. Well, there's, there's some, some incredible ones. And when, I, when I went through this list, or went through to categorize some of the soul lessons, I really had to go through in meditation and really let Spirit kind of give me this. And I find that uh, there was not one lesson more powerful than the other one, but they were all certainly were, had power on their own. One would be balance. So many people have to find balance in their life and, and bring us the, the mind, if you will, to a state of uh, harmony and, and do so without being judgmental. That's one. Another powerful one would be change. Change is a big lesson that uh, no matter how we try, nothing can grow or evolve without movement and change. Things have to change. That's part of, that's part of the energy. That's part of what you hear about. Um, another one might be uh, denial. So many of us may live in denial and um, being aware that there's a fear there about something and, and how can you replace it with uh, an awareness, an insight, a mindfulness about something. Uh, so there, there are many things. Humor is another one. Doubt would be another one. 
Um, of course, death is a big one. Death teaches us a lot um, about ourselves and about that there is no such thing that, that the ending of something. Death is really an ending for a beginning to start. That's really what death is. And we have little deaths every single day in our soul. Um, another one is also acceptance. We have to learn to accept uh, things that are different than ourselves, things that we cannot change, and just really be aware that things happen for a reason. And if we come from that space of everything is in its universal form, it's universe, it happens the way it's meant to by the universe, and I think that's important to realize that. So it's really a sense, Miriam, of, of changing our perspective and stepping back and not being so, if you will, let it take us over, but looking back and stepping back and viewing it, if you will, with, a different, mm-hmm. with different eyes. How do you know when you are hearing your soul's voice? Oh, that's a great question. Wow. <laughs> great question. Well, uh, I can answer it different ways, but I'll, I will say that uh, the, the soul's voice is your, is your knowingness. It's your intuition. It's, it's you. So the more you can have an awareness of who you are, you know, uh, to, to their own self be true, having an awareness of who you are, what your inner truth is, down to the core of your being, how does that make you feel within yourself? Are you in alignment with yourself? What does it make you feel like? That's really the easiest way to know that it's your soul speaking, the core of your being. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are a very strong proponent uh, of meditation. And in fact, you give some beautiful meditations in the back of the book. Thank you very much. How how does just that uh, um, how does that and, and all all of the top spiritual teachers all say meditation is absolutely essential. Mm-hmm. Why is it so essential, and and um, how can we best learn to do it? Well, I, I think that meditation is very essential. I think that's life. I think it's a part of us. I, I, I think that. You know, as you, again, human beings, they're so complex and they live, tend to live in, like I said earlier, a little bit of fear, limitation, don't see things clearly, tend to live in judgment of things. And in order to get a proper perspective and have some clarity in your life and awareness and mindfulness, you really want to start to go within. And if you go within and you start listening to stillness of, of yourself, you'll find that the silence is really loud. The silence is really, really loud. And when you start going in, inward through meditation or with breath work or just a sense of mindfulness, whatever you want to call that, that awareness of your soul, the awareness of self, and that connection that we have to the oneness of everyone, that we're connected to every single living thing, every leaf, every flower, every person, every breath that we take, is, it belongs to somebody else as well. We share the same breath. When you start getting into the sense of that level of awareness, it's almost as if you're getting to the sense of who you are as a soul. So really we spoke about that we live on many levels, and it's almost as if we're integrating all those higher forms of ourselves, that awareness of our higher forms of our being, through the sense of mindfulness and meditation. It's a focused awareness meditation, and it does bring you out of, how can I put it to you, the density, the, the, the human form, the, the, the stuff that we, the, the hard stuff, when really we're light beings. And I think through meditation and focus work, you become to have that relationship with your soul, the relationship with yourself and, and the world around you. And you see very clearly 
the more you sit in the silence, that you aren't deconnected to it all. You see that. And you begin to have a sense of your, your own truth, your soul's truth, your soul's experience, those of other people. You begin to look at people very differently. You begin to see them as spiritual beings having this human experience, not the other way around. You begin to see more of the reason why things happen, the purpose behind things, more of an understanding. It also brings you clarity. It brings you a sense of calm. And it brings you a sense of realness around the world around you. And you don't get so caught up in the everyday stuff. We tend to see the global, the universal sense of it. So I think that's really, really important. And I think if people can have a perspective of looking at things from another person's point of view, then they can really, if you will, have more compassion and understanding. And I always say the people that, we come, that come into our lives, everyone that walks upon our path every day is there for a reason. And it's what are we going to do with that, that, that experience? Are we going to bring them light and love and compassion and forgiveness? Or are we going to be uh, hard and difficult and fearful and, and, and spread hate? So it's a matter of meditation will also bring that sense, if you will, uh, of looking at life that way in ourselves. Many values. It's like it's an antidote to what seems to be the uh, core purpose of modern life, which is to distract us, to occupy our minds, occupy every second. Um, exactly. Yeah. Oh, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. And you perfectly, perfectly stated. Yeah, it's a distraction out there. Big distractions everywhere you look. And I don't know because I'm getting older or because I have to get faster. <laughs> but I tell you, the social media it goes quicker and quicker and faster and faster. And distractions and distractions. And people tend to lose a sense of self and a sense of value and a sense of God. And, and I often say whether it's prayer, meditation, mindfulness. Um, compassionate acts, it's all the same in that it brings you to that, that God awareness, that God, that, that level of uh, oneness, a level of being. And I think if we can get to that, that that's truth. But like you said, the distractions of this earth world all over the place, it's hard. It, it's almost, it's more polarized on either side. Yeah. I wonder if people are afraid that there really is no self inside or they're alienated from the self. And that's why they're seeking the distractions. So, you know, meditation can be a, a very powerful exercise, but possibly a, a little uh, scary. You know, you're, you're, you're just with you, yourself. Yes, yes. You first have to learn to have a relationship with yourself. Yeah. And for a lot of people... That's scary because they're not used to having that. Yeah. They're used to being what people want them to be. They're used to being that robot. They're used to being doing things that are expected of them instead of who they are. And it is scary. And I have many students who are scared. And I just bring them through the breathing exercises, uh, the concentrate on the bottom of their feet, and whether it's energy going down to the Mother Earth and connecting with Earth energies. I, I just have them, the more they do it and relax into it, I will often have people say, wow, I feel like myself again. Mm. I feel like myself again. And it's really important. And, and if I could just say something to your, um, about distractions also, I find that when I work with people, a lot of people are distracted. And a lot of people, so interesting, people don't realize that energetically, thoughts are things, and whatever people think of you, or that goes right on you, thoughts, thoughts are creation, and you know, they go to you. If someone's thinking of you, thoughts are like bullets. 
and the stuff is right on you. So I often say to people, how many of you have taken a, a shower or a bath today? And so I say, yes, right there, yes. <laughs> and some people say, no. I'm like, okay. Well, so you're uh, uh, concerned about the, the cleanliness of your physical body. What about your spirit body? What about your soul self? What about the, the energetic field around you? So if someone's thinking of you, that thought's going to go right on you. And depending upon the thoughts that they send to you and, and the, the intention behind it, that's going to sit with you. And if we don't take the responsibility and the awareness to, if you will, uh, cleanse that space, be mindful of what the space is around us energetically, who's sending us these thoughts, where it's coming from, we have to learn to do that. I once had a client come to me, and she came to my office, and she started crying her eyes out. She said, James, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? I can't sleep. I'm so fearful. I don't understand why my decision process is gone. I have headaches. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? And I said to her, it's not what's wrong with you. It's who's wrong with you. Whose energy have you been picking up? Who's been sending you these thoughts? And I sat down with her, and I started peeling away energetically other people's energy from her space. And she didn't know I was doing that. I was just cleaning her out, cleansing all out. And eventually she did say to me, oh, wow, I feel better. I feel like my power is coming back. Mm. And it was. So I think everybody needs to be mindful and, and responsible every day to just, if you will, um, navigate or, or look over, scan through the energy field and just see what energies are picking up. And I, I do in the shower every morning. I'll envision a beautiful God light coming through the top of my head, the crown chakra, going through the body, surrounding every cell, every muscle with this beautiful God light, and then all around me, the space around me. And I will really visualize coming out of my toes, my fingers, any dense energies that don't belong to me, any foreign thoughts that don't belong to me, anything that's not of the highest good. And I'll see that going down the drain, and then I will get to a space, you know, eventually keep on doing that, and I'll get to a space of, it seems like, centeredness. Mm-hmm. And then what I do is I program my day by saying, may God go before me and show me the way. Mm-hmm. And that's how I program my day. Mm-hmm. And I think everybody's got to be responsible on an energetic level to kind of do that. Because the universal law, like attracts like, you won't receive it to your space, really that energy that you're at. So if you're in a fear energy and, and limitation, you'll draw that to you. But really, if you're in this loving energy, you'll also draw that to you. Yeah. So we've got to be responsible for that. Well, let's take it up a level. You say that joy is our natural state. Why is it so difficult to live in joy, and how do you manage it? Well, it's funny because I think joy is part of the journey, which it is literally J-O-U-R-N-E-Y, joy, journey. I think that that came to me. I I think joy is um, a part of our souls. I think it's part of an aspect of our soul. I think that's a natural sense of our beingness is joyful, is happiness. And I think that, again, getting in touch with our true essence of our being, our soul self, our connection with our God, our God self, that to me is joyful. That is light. That's humorous. That's fun. And I think that's who we are naturally. But I think people don't have relationships with their true self. And they open themselves up to fear, to limitation, yet again, to what other people think of them, phobias, you know, the value systems not clear to them. Um don't have love in their lives, again, living in fear, not love. So I think that's what it's about. So I try to surround myself with hopeful, joyful, happy people. I crack jokes all the time. I have a good sense of humor. <laughs> I try not to take things so seriously because mm. we're all going to get out of this. I know for sure that every single person is not going to survive <laughs> in the physical life. We're all going to die, what we call death. We're all going to leave this body one day. And I think from my work as a, as a medium over the 30 years, 
I realize, of course, I, I get taught every day with the work that life is really short. Human life is really, really short, whether it's 70, 80, 90 years. It's really short in the level of, of time, of, of awareness of who we truly are. So we should make every moment count the best we can. And even when there's opposition, we have to try to see that maybe there's something I'm learning from this. Maybe there's some valuable gem in here that I have to recognize. Mm-hmm. And, and if we keep a sense of centeredness and clarity, maybe we'll be able to see that opportunity there that, that disguises itself as something negative that happened or bad that happened. Instead of judging it that way, maybe it's just a lesson that our soul is learning and it's disguised that way. Fantastic advice. You no longer give it individual readings, but you do teach. How can people find out about your events and, and your books? I, I do. I love teaching. As I said earlier, and that's, that's uh, my number one thing. So I teach around the world, and all of my events and uh, my book signs, all that sort of thing, are on my website, which is uh, com. And I also have a Facebook page, James Van Prague. And uh, I'm there all the time myself, <laughs> so, so people can get in touch with me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, James, it's been such fun having you on the show. We've been speaking. Thank you, Miriam. It's been a joy, a joy <laughs> being with you and really enjoying the interview. Thank you. Very love to speak to somebody who gets it. <laughs> James Van Prague, author of Adventures of the Soul. Thank you, James. Thank you, Miriam. Next week, our guest is going to be, wait for it, me. J.D. Messenger is going to interview me about our new book, What Wags the World? Tales of Conscious Awakening. And who would be better than J.D. since he is one of the profiles in the book? And now, given the theme of the show, we're going to close with a lovely reminder from Cara Johnstad. Her song is called Silence is a Journey. Silence is a journey where my heart It travels great distances Dark landscapes uninhabited I have no companion To give my heart a blow Just sometimes In the still and holy calm I feel the pulse of God Beating in Cara's website is carajohnstad.com K-A-R-A-J-O-H-N-S-T-A-D.com And ours is ncreview.com Until next week, I'm Miriam Knight for New Consciousness Review. Thank you for listening. Goodbye.